Blog Talk Radio. How's it going out there? Welcome to this installment of the Diardro Show. It's been a minute, but we're here, and we're going to discuss uh, something called Steelers-Browns Week. For those of you uninitiated, it's one of the uh, historic rivalries in the NFL. It dates back to the oof, 1940s, 1950s, 1950s, actually, and uh, should be an exciting one. Uh, you know, Brian, it's funny, man. Uh, first of all, how are you doing, buddy? It's been a long time. Hope your summer's been doing well. Let me make sure Brian can hear us here. Actually, I think I know what to do here. So let me get make sure we get Brian on the line here. It's been a minute, so we got a couple of technical things. All right, you got hello, me. Hello, hello, Brian. How you doing, man? How's your summer been going? I'm doing. It's great. It's been uh, everything's been 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 going great here in Colorado. Uh, it's, a, it's a very non-Colorado-ish day today, in terms of it's been pretty rainy and stormy and a little bit gray. But uh, but hey, it's uh, it's all good. Awesome, man. Well, hey, dude. I know. Uh, you know, it's funny. Before we do some Steelers and Browns, uh, it, it's funny. I remember long time ago we did our baseball kind of preseason expectations and we kind of talked about more of the Indians but a little bit about the Pirates. They're about exactly where you you said they'd be. They're two games under 500. They just swept the Reds. Not going to go to the playoffs. They're eight and a half out. You know, obviously at this point maybe like three weeks left in the regular season. But they're they're having a season where if you took away 2013 to 15, Pirate fans would be stoked right now a team this close to 500 with three weeks left. Uh, they get the Marlins next, so a very good chance they'll be at least 500 when that series is over. Um, but obviously what they did from 13 to 15, losing McCutcheon now with the Yankees, um, kind of crazy that now it's just kind of another ho-hum season for the Pirates. But, I mean, that's certainly a good thing. You know, it, it definitely is. I mean, I certainly am happy that – they're better than the Reds again. My wife's team. That's always kind of my <laughs> one of my measurements for success. And then being around 500 and hopefully having a winning season. But you know, most Pirate fans after the last couple of years, uh, they're demanding more. And I know for you, uh, the Indians will be back in the playoffs yet again, and they'll be trying to make it to the World Series. So I know Steelers Browns is what we primarily want to talk about. But uh, how do you feel about the Indians' chances three weeks away from the playoffs? Well, let me just say, yeah, for the Pirates. I mean, it's just tough because the division is incredible. I mean, we're sitting here. Yeah. Like I said, a couple weeks left in the regular season, and, you know, three teams in the division are all in striking distance to win the division, but more realistically, you know, to have a chance at the wild card. There's, there's great competition. Uh, the NL West, which I watch a ton of being out here with Colorado, you know, also Colorado, Arizona, the, 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 the you know, the Dodgers, uh, and the Giants were in it for a while, similar to the Pirates. They were in it for a while. And then, you know, dealt the former Pirate McCutcheon, who I, I wanted to come to Cleveland. Uh, it didn't happen. We got Josh Donaldson, who, if healthy, is a lot better. So I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining at all about that. But, you know, it, it's, been, it's been a fascinating season. Uh, you know, at the beginning of the season, I wasn't very focused because I knew, we, you know, where we were going to be. We are going to make the playoffs, and I was focused on the Cavs, and it was just a very crappy time in sports-wise for me just because a lot of stress about LeBron, and now that that's over, 
it's over and I don't have to worry about it or talk about it or think about basketball uh, for a while. I have no desire to even go there. So if you want to, please don't. I don't want to talk. We can talk. Let's talk about football. But, my, but uh, you know, Indians-wise, you know, last year the Indians set an American League record and won 22 games in a row. So it could not have been hotter heading in the playoffs. That 22-game winning streak took place part of August, part of September. So it was going on right now, and you know, with a couple, of, it, it ended with a week or so, or two weeks, however long it was, before the playoffs started. And then, of course, the Indians were bounced in five games. This year, the Indians have not gotten hot the entire season. Record-wise, if they were in in other divisions, they could be in, in, in significant trouble. Not that they're bad; they're around twenty games over five hundred, give or take a few games. But it, it, they haven't really gotten hot, and in a weird way. Because of last year, I kind of like it. Like, I have this sort of good feeling heading into the postseason that is like this team is too good, too talented to not at some point here break out of it. And I have just zero desire and have had zero desire the entire season for the Indians to go on any kind of extended hot streak. Just because I want – if it's going to happen, I need it to happen when it matters in October. So – it, it's been a very strange year. I've been sitting here kind of in some sort of weird way. I know this maybe this is stupid logic, but in, in sort of a weird way, kind of happy that things haven't gone great, that there's been some issues. The, health is obviously something that is very concerning. Uh, We've got to get Andrew Miller back um, and healthy. You know, we need Cody Allen, who's looked very good last couple of appearances, to, to be back to form. Brad Hands, rock solid. Not worried about him. And Trevor Bauer is, you know, is pitched. He would be, if he stayed healthy, given where he was going, he'd have won the Cy Young Award this year. He was pitching better than Corey Kluber, who is one of the favorites, had another great outing today. Um, I don't even think he said that great of a year. He literally may win the Cy Young for the third time and I think, four years and the second year in a row. He literally might do that, and he was, has been the second-best pitcher on the team behind Trevor Bauer. Hopefully Trevor gets healthy, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, baseball, Brian, is, is, is incredibly different than the NBA, and it, it's different than football, I would say, too. It's a lot like hockey. It's a crapshoot. You have no idea which, who's going to win the World Series. Any team has a shot, realistically, to win a World Series. You just have to get hot at the right time. We saw that in, in, in 2016 with both the Cubs and the Indians. The Indians just couldn't quite get that final victory. But I'm, you know, I'm, I guess, you know, to, to sum up my long rant here, Brian, I'm happy about the fact that we haven't gotten going yet because we're either going to not get going and then that'll be that. We won't win, won't win a World Series and we'll be, set, you know, 71 years. Or we get hot at the right time and – in a season that's been more underwhelming than the last couple of seasons where the Indians have been very successful, maybe it's an opportunity to win a World Series and break that, that Indians curse that is now the longest in all of Major League Baseball and 1948, 70 years ago, being our last World Series championship. It's funny, Brian, because the Pirates haven't won it since 79, but to both of us, that's a lifetime, you know. But, again, I know that that, that – that still is a drought that I know that the Cleveland wants to have in, but it is funny because, you know, for, I mean, I wasn't alive when the Pirates won our last one. But again, you know, it, it, it was in at least my parents' lifetime, so they can tell me about it. And, 
you know, whatnot, and I've got the DVDs and stuff. So I've got two goals for my baseball season. That's it. I'd like to see the Pirates finish with a winning record, and I'd like to see either McCutcheon and the Yankees, which kind of sucks because he's on the Yankees, but still, uh, either McCutcheon or the Indians won a World Series. I, I'm we, I, I'd rather have, and I actually had to think about this. Cause my wife was like, "So who are you going to cheer for now?" Because I always, I always say, you know, the Indians are my AL team, so you know, I always want them to win it if the Pirates don't. And uh, with with McCutcheon, I was like, man, because he's my favorite baseball player ever. You know, uh, I actually don't know who your favorite is, Brian. I'm guessing it's it's Tommy, but that's a guess. Pretty close. It's, uh, it's Carlos Baerga. Uh, the best player I ever had a chance to watch was was Manny. I always I always say Manny's the Manny's the best talent I ever saw. Uh, Tommy's uh, probably the best combination of a, a high quality human being as well as a great player. So it, you know, I mean, there were a lot of them, but yeah, my all time favorite is Carlos Baerga, technically. Yeah, and it, it okay. Yeah, I because well, I wasn't sure. You know, like for me, even though it's not popular because Barry Bonds left the Pirates on not great terms in the early '90s, Bonds might be my favorite baseball player ever to watch uh, outside of McCutcheon. Um, for me, McCutcheon was so cool. Not only was he a really good player when he was with the, with the Pirates, he had big games when I went. <laughs> like. I think last year I saw the Pirates play three times. He played in two games. He had a home run in two of the games. And uh, both times the home runs came in, in big moments, and he helped the Pirates win both games. Um, I saw him have – I remember opening day in uh, 15 in Cincinnati, he had a home run in that game. So, you know, 2010 he had a game-winning hit when the Pirates lost them 100 million games. But still, they beat the Reds, and it was a big deal for me. Uh, so I have a lot of great memories of him. I And, again – Want the Indians to win the World Series ahead of the Yankees, but I won't be upset if if, if I see McCutcheon hoist that uh, that trophy and sport the ring. Um, but yeah, he's my favorite player, and, and you know today is actually Roberto Clemente Day in Pittsburgh, so very cool that they won today. Um, I don't know if you hear, Brian, uh, the the same director that made um, the O.J. Simpson Thirty for Thirty, Ezra Edelman, has signed on to do a Clemente movie, so that promises to be really good. I think it's in a no, nice. late nineteen. He hasn't done anything since the OJ documentary, and apparently, like when he does something, he really dives in, <laughs> and then takes a sabbatical afterwards to kind of let his brain decompress. Um, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a five-part series like the OJ or or a movie, but apparently, it's going to be a, a like an actual movie. So long overdue. It's been 46 years since he passed this December, um, but uh, regardless, glad it's happening. But, uh, but yeah, man, pulling for you guys. Uh, sad the Pirates' uh, season's going to end soon, but you know they're going to have a winning record potentially, and that's exciting. Uh, and again, I mean, they've only had I think four of those in my three of those in my lifetime. So I, you know, I know a lot of Pirate fans aren't really excited about that, but I certainly am. So I mean, and I mean the Red Sox, Jimmy Christmas. I mean, but again, as you said, Brian, and I like what you said. I mean, you want to get hot at the right time. So uh, and and seldom. The team that's the best has the best record in the regular season seldom wins uh, in the postseason. So, um, but yeah, man. I mean, let's let's talk about this football game that that I know you're pumped about. Um, there. Are you feeling different about this Brown season? I mean, Hard Knocks was like, you know, it had some reverberations. Um, now, now, Mike Tomlin and Ben said they didn't watch it. Ben said it's not his cup of tea. Tomlin didn't express why. He just said he didn't watch it, but. 
Um, it, it, I watched the opening episode. I love what I saw from Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Todd Haley is combative, as Ben said on his radio show, what you see is what you get. Hugh Jackson showed a lot of human emotion. Baker Mayfield came off very likable to me. Uh, and Jarvis Landry, and is what Mike Tomlin said this week, called him in the ultimate praise for, for, for a football player. Called him that. He goes, he's just a football player, not just a great wide receiver, a great football player. Um, but yeah, man, like I'm sure you watched it. What, what were your What was your take on that? And, and yeah, man, like what what excites you so much about this game? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot. I mean, we could do a whole show just on Hard Knocks, but it was obviously very. It was great. I mean, Hard Knocks. Again, everyone's different. I love Hard Knocks regardless. And I think I feel like Hard Knocks so often picks story picks teams that are not compelling. And stories that are not compelling. You know, for years, I mean the Bengals were on a couple times. It didn't really interest me or that many people. Uh, I got Tampa last year. Yeah, they were decent, but I didn't think there was a ton of intrigue surrounding that. I, this was a, a story, the timing was perfect, not just as a Cleveland fan, but you have a, a team 131 there, you know, in two seasons, 0-16, you know, last year. I think this is a compelling story when you add in Baker Mayfield and some of the veterans that were there. Uh, as a Buckeye, I was a little, definitely annoyed that they did not mention Denzel Ward at all. I mean, he got injured, in, and they mentioned him on the, on the fourth episode that he got a little injured in the third preseason game against the Eagles. I don't know why a top-five pick. I understand he doesn't have the personality or the, the prestige of Baker Mayfield. It's crazy to me a top-five pick was not mentioned. That's probably the only thing that was highly disappointing to me about this, uh, about uh, Hard Knocks. But overall, I mean, I thought it was, 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 was really great. And um, I'm excited – just because I feel like there's credibility in the building. That's, that's what it comes down to. I think there's credibility at the top with, with John Dorsey. Um, I, I, I feel pretty good. I feel very good about him. I give him a lot of credit. He turned over a ton of the roster. And I feel, you know, I, he has a very strong track record of success. Uh, so, especially with drafting. So, I'm, I'm very optimistic about him, and, and I, 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 yeah, I think he did a great job of bringing in guys like Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf, who was kind of the, uh, the Tark or whatever, I, I guess the, the, the term was. He was the, the guy you did not want to call from in the final episode yesterday um, of Hard Knocks. But, you know, you have him, whose father, Ron Wolf, was uh, instrumental in building, you know, the championship Packers teams. And you have a, a legitimate – you know, I don't want to talk about the head coach because I'm not buying into Hugh. I, I, I don't know how you could. But you have Todd Haley, who I definitely want to ask you about uh, at, at some point here uh, during this discussion, and Greg Williams. I think there's good good quality credibility there between those two. And I think Bob Wiley is probably a, was one of the stars, uh, our offensive line coach, just watching him say hot and having his rather large stomach um, – reverberate <laughs> at, uh, when he had said hot to start a, pl- start a drill, but yeah, I, I, I mean, you have professionals, <laughs> you have professionals everywhere. Yeah, man, it, it was exciting. I, 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 like I said, I enjoyed it. And I think what bothered me is when people were getting too psychoanalytical of Hugh Jackson, always oh, too soft on the team or, oh, this, or that. I mean, you're getting snippets the human emotion with, with him suffering the loss of his mother and brother in that, what, three-week span or four-week span, whatever it was, I remember sitting there thinking, there's no way Mike Tomlin would let anybody shoot this. And I think 
showing how human he was. And I agree with you. Like, the Tampa did one, I mean, did do anything for me. I mean, it was amazing, all the emotions. I mean, the Jarvis Landry pilot, you know, in the, in the opening episode, that, that speech to the team. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I'll say this. Baker Mayfield came off to me very likable. And Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. Um, Really a leader, but I think those two together, I think, is a really good pairing. Yeah, Drew Stanton too. Drew Stanton wasn't covered yeah. much, and that's fine. Uh, but Drew Stanton's the ideal third string quarterback because he is fine with it. He knows he knows he's not a starter. He knows that's not you know it's not happening. So he's very content with that. But yeah, I agree. You know, Baker Mayfield. I don't know how much we talked about it, but but I certainly was. Very not very anti him coming out. Um, I don't know if it was the size, if it was the the Buckeye situation that, that maybe clouded my judgment. I'm not sure. I just looked at uh, you know several other guys, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, to name two, that had the bodies, had the, the prototypical skills, abilities to to you know be successful. Um, so from that perspective, I didn't like them. But yeah, he's grown on me completely, and I don't. And now I, I'm I'm all in on the chance to be successful. See what happens. But he performed very well in the preseason. I agree, he came off as as likable as he, he, as a humble guy. Yeah, he at times showed some arrogance, but he really comes off as someone that is likable, and you can see that teammates like him. You know, it's not a situation where you have you know the the, the I I hate to use a fictional example, but the whole idea with in draft day, in the movie draft day, where the Browns don't end up taking the quarterback everyone says you should take because they realize he didn't really have friends, didn't have great chemistry with his teammates. And that's something that is, is, is huge. And I think Baker Mayfield, you know, certainly his teammates in Oklahoma said it, he's the type of guy that you're going to want to go to war with. Um, so I'm very encouraged about him. And, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Jarvis Landry, certainly a veteran that is going to be, you know, great to see. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to him and Demarius Randall. Is a, I found a nice move to take him as you know, decent cornerback, put him as a safety with coverage skills. Gets Jabril Peppers back to his you know regular spot. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, the I mean, the Browns have a Pro Bowl, either a Pro Bowler or a Pro Bowl caliber player in every single position group, and, and that includes you know, defensive tackle. You know, we have uh, a couple of decent options. Maybe there isn't a Pro Bowl player there, but certainly defensive end, Miles Garrett, better be there. <laughs> he certainly is capable, highly capable of, of winning, being a defensive MVP. I mean, he's that, he's that talented. You have him, you have Jamie Collins, you have Christian Kirksey and Schilbert, who've been in, been in Pro Bowls. You know, cornerback Denzel Ward, hopefully if he's a future Pro Bowler. You, you know, you have Peppers. So, I mean, the Browns, you know, defensively have – have a lot of talent, had a great preseason. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see. Uh, the only other point I want to make just, uh, you know, to you on this is the whole Hugh Jackson, I'm not ripping on, I agree with you that the whole Hugh Jackson argument with Todd Haley about, you know, whether some whether veterans should play through injuries or not during training camp, that that's normal. I mean, that that's how it should be. You, uh, Ultimately, it, it speaks to the respect that Todd Haley has for Hugh Jackson, and he felt comfortable to be what, in some instances, would be considered insubordinate. But that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to speak your mind, 
as as the leader, you're not going to agree if you don't want to agree, but you're certainly not going to dismiss what others have to say. Um, my beef with you, Jackson, is that we're one in 31, and he just hasn't proven he's a remotely good football coach. As a person, I have nothing against him and agree that he went through some very difficult situations and certainly handled that incredibly well, and I, I feel for him on a human level for sure. Um, so I'm, I'm not ripping on him as a person. I just think, come on, I mean, <laughs> I mean he's, been, he's one in 31. I mean, he, he certainly has not earned – any kind of credibility as an actual football coach itself. Yeah, and I, and I think it, the Haley thing was really interesting. First of all, he used the Tomlinism. Don't live in your fears. That was crazy. That is that is from the book of Tomlin. And, you know, Ben was asked today, or I'm sorry, Tuesday, what, what he, you know, it, he didn't watch Hard Knocks, but, but they, you know, the host of the show he does every Tuesday – kind of gave him the rundown of what happened and, and whatnot and how he kind of came off at times. And they go, what are your thoughts? And Ben's like, well, what you see is what you get. And he can be combative. He can be abrasive. But, but as Ben said, he goes, he's, he's passionate. And it was funny to me because, you know, I think that I, – I think – I will say one thing on Hugh, and here I am being psychoanalyst when I said I, you know, I was kind of critical of people that were doing that about Hugh just based on hard knocks. It, it does seem like he is very much like a – oh, everything's good, everything's fine kind of attitude, where, where maybe things always aren't, uh, maybe too much of the eternal optimist at times. Um, but, again, I understand that because you, you don't want to come off as panicky. But, and Haley is, is way on the other side where, you know, he's like, we have all this stuff to do and we can't have veterans, you know, on the bench when they're not necessarily injured. So, again, I mean, that's Todd Haley. You know, and with Todd and Jarvis, I know they had a little back and forth. You know, Todd's coached Larry Fitzgerald. Conversely, he's coached Martavis Bryant, who had all this potential and now doesn't have a job in the NFL. He's coached Antonio Brown. He's, he's coached Juju Smith-Schuster. So he's, you know, uh, uh, Anquan Bolden. I mean, he's coached a lot of good receivers. And I think that's just – he's got a bar that he wants to make sure. But Jarvis has 100, had 112 catches last year. So it's not like this is a guy that needs built up. He's already at this place. But when you look at the Browns and you look at the Steelers, what if I was a Browns fan, what I would like, they have a blend of good veterans and young players. And you can't just have a team of, of either or. You can't have a bunch of old players. You can't have a bunch of young guys. You've got to have a blend. And, I mean, just look at Taylor and Baker and Drew Stanton. Drew Stanton, like you said, I mean, perfect third-string third quarterback. A veteran, early 30s has started before, has had successes as it started before. The Cardinals, I want to say, in 2014 helped them go to the playoffs when Carson Palmer got hurt. Um, you know, and then you've got, you know, obviously Tyrod, he's 29, showed a lot of veteran, you know, just getting up at 5 a.m. and he's kind of ribbon baker, you know, hey, are you getting up at 5 a.m. And, and all that stuff. And, and even with Jabril Peppers and They've got some older secondary guys, and with the receiving core, they got Galloway from Florida, but, but you've also got Jarvis who can kind of help him, mentor him. That's very much like an Antonio Brown, Juju situation. Um, so I think that that's really good. And I don't know how they've dealt with the Michael Kendrick situation. It kind of seems like they've, you know, uh, I'm sure during one of the last hard knocks they, they tackled that, but um, it, it, it seems like, Brian, you know, just like every NFL team, the Browns have had, they're also – 
they've had their share of drama this off season, but it seems like they they overall just kind of rolled with it and they're ready for Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, and, and that's definitely what you know. One of the I, I want to talk in, in in detail about about what's going on with Le'Veon, and even though I think I know you well enough to know, I can guess what your opinion is on it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's there really hasn't been it, it's there hasn't been too much drama. I mean, I I said to you today and to a lot of everyone I know, you know, that's a Steelers fan, that yeah, this has been a like this is the type of week heading into the regular season that you would expect the Browns to have, where the focus is not on football. The focus is on, on you know, an issue with the star player. Um, and the Browns just, you know, just sort of just, <laughs> just ready for business. It's, you know, how much will Josh Gordon play? Things like that are questions. But um, I guess I mean, there certainly was drama, the Michael Kendricks thing. Uh, the Browns sort of ended it quickly and whatever. That was very strange, the insider trading thing. Um, he was going to be a backup anyway. So, I mean, I looked at that as, right. you know, Good, solid, very good player, but solid depth player. It, it is what it is. Um, Antonio Callaway, his issue with the, the, you know, the possession of marijuana and, you know, a guy who unfortunately has, has earned zero credibility. So that whole thing was very – so we've had our fair share of issues and, and whatnot, but, you know, certainly, um, you know, I'm definitely optimistic about, about where we are moving forward. I don't know if you want to get into – the whole Le'Veon situation, but, but I mean, definitely that's something I know I want to talk to you about. And the other piece, if we want to touch on Haley a little more um, before we get to Le'Veon, the question that, that, that I had is I was curious to hear uh, as it relates to Todd Haley candidly, what, what people thought about him um, as the offensive coordinator. I, I've heard, you know, uh, a little bit in regards to maybe him being kind of vanilla in terms of his play calling and not very creative and, you know, that people are not necessarily upset to see him gone. But what, what is the perception? Because the offenses were extre- extremely productive with Todd Haley. And that, you know, you've got, all of, you know, assuming Le'Veon gets there, you have certainly a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame receiver, first ballot for both in Ben and A.B. But, you know, what, as I'm curious, what is kind of the opinion of, um, you know, Steelers fans? Frustration. Now, that being said, not all that's on him. I mean, he, what Todd Haley does, which I really like, is that, first of all, he protected Ben. Ben's sack numbers went way down because he, he got Ben to, to shorten up his passes and his, his drop. Everything got quicker. That's what he learned, with I think, Haley with Kurt Warner. You know, older quarterback, we've got to protect him. The line, regardless of how good they are, we're going to get the ball out quick. And you know, obviously when you have A-B and you have those kind of weapons that can get off the break quickly, it, it's easier to do. Um, so he's going to do – he's going to protect your quarterback, no, no question. Um, what I like is he is very good week to week in terms of just not having like a – you know, every, every coordinator has, you know, their uh, comfort zones and things that they like to do. But Haley really does change the offense on a week-by-week basis based on the strength of the opponent they're facing. For an example, 2015, the Steelers were playing the Legion of Boom when they are still at their height. Probably the last year they were at their height, you know, um, with Sherman and all those guys. And the Steelers don't have Le'Veon Bell, but they've got D'Angelo. And, and honestly, you knew going in D'Angelo wasn't going to have a great game against Seattle. I mean, they, he just – he had a good he had good games that season against 
defenses that weren't quite as good. Um, so in that game, they don't even try to use him really as a running back. I think he had he had more receptions in that game than carries. He had eight catches for 88 yards and was a huge part of the Steelers' offense. And it was funny going into the games. I remember thinking they shouldn't even try to run the ball. Like, I get throwing against Legion and Boom stinks, but that's the only way they're going to have a chance to win. And they almost won that game, and Ben throws for 456 and, and all that. The week before that, D'Angelo had, like, 20-some carries. Because, again, I think it was against the Colts possibly and or something like that. It was a weaker defense. And that's where, that's where I'm getting at. And that's what I liked about Todd Haley. And he's going to get the ball usually to his playmakers. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. The, one, the, the, the issues that I and a lot of people had, inconsistencies. You throw the ball down into the red zone, and then all of a sudden you run it three times. It's like, why aren't you throwing it? Throwing got you to this point. And, and sometimes it was kind of like he would overthink it. You know, if it's third and one, just run it up the middle. Take, you know, get your fullback involved or QB sneak or something. He doesn't like the QB sneak. At least he didn't in Pittsburgh. And, you know, twice against Jackson on the playoff loss, fourth and one, you pitched to Le'Veon White against the fat league's fastest defense. Why? That's now, if it works, no one's saying this. You know, fourth and one, you're, you know, you're ha- you have been through a slant to Juju, the primary receiver who hadn't caught a pass all day. Get the ball to Antonio Brown. Get the ball to Bell. I mean, and so those are – I think those are a little nitpicky, Brian. Um, and I think overall he's a really good offensive coordinator that is combative, can be uh, abrasive, but I think he's good for the quarterbacks, I think, that are in Cleveland. And I think he'll do a good job there. Yeah, well, it, it's it's so funny you say that that, that, that last point about play calling because uh, in the Browns-Eagles preseason game, they didn't cover this in all in hard knocks, but um, in the Browns-Eagles preseason game, it was actually extremely comical. Um the the Browns had it first and goal, I think, at the one, and they threw four times, didn't score a touchdown. Ended up getting a safety, got the ball back. They won five nothing. I think it was it was it was a really weird game over the champion Eagles in, in the third preseason game. But but yeah, that was situation. You're like, are you kidding me? You have Carlos Hyde, who's same guy. I think Bell, bigger guy. Like, what what? Why are you outsmarting yourself? The, the Ohio State almost every loss Ohio State has had since Urban Meyer has been coach has been because of a, a lack of running and, and, and trying to be too cute and things like that. So that's, that's really interesting. But, uh, but I, yeah, so I, I don't know if you have a point you want to make, but I definitely want to shift to, to Le'Veon for sure. Cause I know that's a significant well, that's topic, funny. not just for Steelers fans, but in, in, in the NFL. Right. Well, yeah, the last thing was funny because Finkner, the new OC, and he's been with the Steelers since 07 and actually him and Tomlin and the Steelers D coordinator, we're together uh, at a very, I think, Western Illinois or a, a Division One AA school in 1998. So now 20 years, they're all back together, Steelers. And, um, you know, Finkner, you know, it was funny because he coached the Pro Bowl because obviously Haley wasn't there. Third and one, the Steelers, Roosevelt Nix, who's from Columbus, third and one, they give him the ball. And Steelers fans that were watching the Pro Bowl love that because they're hoping that that's more of what you're going to see. And the Steelers want to run a lot more to huddle this season. But, but yeah, man, the Le'Veon situation, um, for those that are a little uninitiated, um, here's what we know. There are a lot of rumors today and a bunch of stuff, and Le'Veon's agent is, is really taking – he's going everywhere. He was everywhere today. Cyrus, XM Radio, ESPN, you name it, he was there. And uh, rubbing people, including myself, the wrong way a lot. Um, uh, pretty much Le'Veon didn't show up today. 
uh, Wednesday. And this is where you install the game plan. They had an extra practice Monday that they typically don't have. He wasn't there, but a lot of the Steelers, Marquise Pouncey, and a lot of the linemen had been texting Le'Veon because I guess they're close with him. And well, I came in like, you know, they were led to believe that he was going to show up Wednesday. And he didn't. And his agent is instead, you know, he's talking. And the Steelers um, GM today came out and said, uh, if Bell's agent wants to talk to us, he has our number. I'm not going to respond through the media. And so obviously you know the Steelers are upset. But, again, it's, you know, Le'Veon's going to the media and his agent. Um, and the Steelers locker room today went nuclear. They, um, it was like when James Harrison left in December, the same thing. I mean, and the worst part was it was Bell's line. David DeCastro, who never has been heard to ridicule a, a teammate. Ramon Foster, who's the, the second oldest Steelers starter on both sides of the ball, second to Ben. Pouncey, who's the team captain this season, um, said, May, don't even show up. Like, if you're going to miss six to ten games, don't even show up. Um, Ramon Foster said, you, you know, you, you, make, you make seven times as much as I do. You make twice as much as Villanueva, who, who's a pro bowler and a left tackle. Um, so, you know, Ben, to his credit, uh, continued to just, you know, do, you know, compliment Bell. Whenever we get him, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll roll with him and all that. But, uh, yeah, man, it, it's an interesting situation, and, and my stand on it is Steelers never should have franchised him twice. And the NFL should not allow teams to franchise a player twice. I totally understand Le'Veon wants to – seek his market value, or at least have had that opportunity. Le'Veon in February said, if we can't get something done by the, dead, by the March 6th deadline, let me either test the market or trade me to somebody that will give me what I want. And I, and I actually was with him on that. Um, and the Steelers opted not to. They believe, I mean, Le'Veon wanted more guaranteed money. The Steelers didn't offer him enough, and I agree with Bell on that. Um, Todd Gurley got $45 million. I'm not saying Bell deserved that. But the Steelers need to um, uh, get with it a little bit in terms of their guarantee. Maybe they didn't want to give it to Bell because of the, the suspensions and his history of injuries. But, but be transparent with him if that's what you're worried about. But to me, Brian, that's kind of the issue is that um, we're in this situation, the Steelers are, because um, they just could not come to an agreement and they should not have franchised him a second time. Uh, now, they've positioned themselves to be successful uh, without him. James Conner had a phenomenal summer as a runner, receiver, pass blocker, you name it. I, I still am kind of like proved to me on the pass blocking. I think pass receiving, he is going to be good. And running, he is going to be good. Pass blocking, he still scares me because he needs to show it in a game. I don't think he's done that yet to, to me. Um, that's where the Steelers stand. It, it, and now he's facing a locker room that's angry. Um, and is, is upset and hurt, and he'll have to he'll have to uh, make amends when he comes back. Whenever he does decide to come back, but um, but here's the thing to remember, Brian. Lastly, here um, he has not been ruled out of this game. It's very unlikely he's going to play, but he has not been ruled out. And Mike Tomlin, um, when he was asked on Tuesday, and I thought it was great because a lot of people were speculating that Le'Veon's going to show up Friday or Saturday going to sign his tender because he if he wants to get paid 852,000 and change he has to by 4 p.m saturday so a lot of people are speculating he's going to show up friday or saturday sign it and, and he knows at that point he won't play tomlin said there's there's no deadline on on that whenever he signs if they think he's fit to go 
and whatever role they think he can fill, he's going to play. They're not going to give him 852 and have him sit on the bench. So I would not be surprised if Le'Veon showed up on Friday, signed his tender, the Steelers take a look at him, and they go, you're good. You can. He's not going to start, but I could definitely see him getting five to ten carries if he shows up Friday. Saturday, you're pushing it. And if he shows up Friday and he doesn't want to get, you know, whatever, uh, uh, then you're really burning a bad bridge, and then things could get serious after that. If he shows up that late – and gets his 8.52. I don't think there's anything the Steelers can do to stop him if that's what he wants to do. And if he does that, there's irreversible um, uh, <laughs> repercussions from that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I appreciate you spelling that out to me. And, and uh, you know, I, I mean, you're a journalist, and, and you actually care about the truth and facts. Uh, as evidenced by the fact that you really didn't even share too much of your opinion there. Uh, uh, you were really, you know, trying to be really fair to both sides. And, and yeah, it certainly, it certainly seems like, you know, from everything that, uh, that you're saying that, yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible that, you know, both sides are probably wrong in, in some respects here. I kind of figured, not for the sake of towing the company line, but I kind of figured you would be, you know, 100% with the Steelers on this just because, you know, I mean, that's the Steelers have a have a way that has been very successful for decades, and they're not going to change that for anybody. Um, but it is an interesting point. I guess I, didn't, I never I haven't thought too much about the idea of of kind of you know what you were referring to of you know that it is you're locking them into a one year contract two years in a row, and although as a franchise player you're getting a ton of money, there is that risk of. You could get injured, and then you're screwed. You don't have any, uh, you know, have anything you can do in the future. So I can certainly understand from that perspective. Um, but by the same token, I think, you know, for Le- for for Le'Veon's sake, it's you either want to win, and you're will, you know, you're you're happy taking a ton of money, maybe not every dollar you want, or you want every dollar, and then that means you're going to probably go to a bad situation because. Bad teams, such as the Browns, are the teams that have the kind of significant cap space that they can go above and beyond and, and pay you what you know more than you deserve. Uh, the Steelers aren't going to do that, and they they have a they never have, they never will, and they never should because it's worked for all these years. Um, so it's, it's it's very interesting. But they're going to have to get hip with it because I mean even even Antonio's deal I don't think has I mean I think. Technically, OBJ is only making one million more, per, you know, than Brown per season. But I don't know how much guaranteed is in Le'Veon's deal. It will be very interesting next season if Ben actually wants to extend his contract, which right now is set to expire after 19. It'll be interesting because of what we saw Rodgers get, what we saw um, uh, Matt Ryan get earlier earlier this offseason. I want to say it was it was yeah it was May. Um, it'll be interesting to see because. I mean, the NBA dictates, uh, you know, the guaranteed money, and the NFL players see this. Le'Veon sees this, and now they want that guaranteed money. It, you know, it reminds me of the 90s when the Magic bulked initially on, at the amount of money Shaq wanted and then later said, you know, we just needed time to, uh, to, to accept and digest that that's what we have to pay players now. Once they figured it out, it, he, they already emotionally lost him. And I think that's another thing that upsets Bell is that he shouldn't have to fight like this to get paid. It should just happen. But you have the suspensions. You have the injury history. You're a running back. 
um, and all yeah. those things are working against you. The thing that that I'm struggling with, honestly, Brian, is this. This is what I'm struggling with, is that there were mistakes on both sides, but now we're here. doesn't matter how we got here, but now we're here. And now Le'Veon is making – because this is what really irked off the Steelers today, is when his agent said that he's, he's holding out potentially into the regular season to protect his health. That is what touched a nerve with the Steelers players, specifically Ramon Foster's like, you know, I got a knee problem. He had a hyperextended knee, and he's out all the preseason, and here he is. He's going to play on Sunday and try to protect Ben Roethlisberger against a vastly improved Browns defense, a very good Browns defense if their offense helps them this season. They they held Pittsburgh to 14 points last week, last year, week one. One of those touchdowns was that block punt, you know, um, you know, and, 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 you know, Alejandro, you know, and all, all these guys, you know, that's what bothered the team. I mean, Pouncey has a, a bad fibula, which I got to see uh, without hit the pads during training camp. It, it, I mean, there's part of, of his flesh that's not there, and Pouncey's playing on it. I mean, and that's what I think upsets the Steelers, Brian, the players. It's like we all are out there with injuries, man. Like, and, and you have more guaranteed money this year than any of us. Like, it stands, you know, Ben and Brown. And Bell might have more guarantees than those guys because a franchise tag is all guaranteed. That's where I yeah. struggle because I don't know who's right in that situation. Honestly, I'm going with the players because, you know, if they're all, – all year long, Brian, I've gone with the players. You know, if the players are saying, hey, you know, we support Le'Veon, we're, we're good with it, I've rolled with that. I've rolled with that band all summer. Because I was at training camp, and it, there it, there wasn't an issue. I mean, Bell wasn't there, but that's the way it was the year before. Now that he's missing games, that's where the line was drawn, and he's crossed it. Yeah. And I think now Le'Veon is more in, 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 in the fault now. Because it doesn't matter how we got here, how are we going to handle it now? And if you've led the Steelers to believe that you're going to show up week one, you, bet you, should, you should be there. And I think that it's not the worst crime in the world he's committed, but he's in the wrong right now. Um, because, uh, again, both sides had made mistakes, but I think now you got to just man up and, and play this season and then move on. Yeah, well, no, I, this is very, very interesting insight. And obviously, you know, I, I'm a, a Lady and Bell fantasy owner, so I'm interested from that perspective. And I also am a Browns fan and very interested in him not showing up for week one. Uh, that would be my preference at this point. I certainly understand that it's an advantage for the Browns regardless because – the guy's not going to get 20, 25 carries. It's not going to happen realistically at this point, right? I can, you can eliminate that as an option. No, look, like I said, my, my, fear, my fear is Le'Veon. My fear is James Conner is a pass blocker. I think he's gotten better, and I think that, that there was a back-on-backers drill on a Friday night where the Steelers traditionally, their second practice, they played a high, they practiced at a high school and sold out. It's a cool experience. Ben is, like, right in Connor's face watching it because he knows that Connor's going to be protecting him most likely when Le'Veon's not around. Um, that still scares me because he messed up once in the preseason too. And, you know, the five-interception game last year against Jacksonville, the first pick was because Connor whiffed on a block and Ben threw an yeah. pass. But still on Ben. That's still on Ben. You know, but, but Le'Veon's got to do their job. I'm sorry, James has to do a better job there. Like, that's what Le'Veon – Le'Veon's – really good at all three facets of football, running back, you know, catch, receive, block. And that's where I think that – because you don't want your fullback Rosie Nix to be in there on shot on, – on, you know, when Ben's in the shotgun. 
because as good as Rosie Nix is, he's not getting out in the flat very fast. <laughs> and, you know, he might get mad at me saying that, but it's the way it is. He's a fullback. So, um, you know, the, the, I think overall, it, I think it's good for the Steelers, Brian, because you're you're going to lose Le'Veon after, after. They're not, they're not going to negotiate with him now. He's gone after this. That's over. Um, so I think it's good to see what you've got with James Conner. They drafted Jalen Sanders, who had 200 catches in college. He was technically a tight end. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens. But it, it's funny because, you know, Mike Tomlin talking about the Browns offense and the Browns defense, he goes, it's funny, he, he goes, the newness of the Browns offense is challenging to us. The continuity of their defense is equally challenging. It's like the Browns and the Steelers, you know, the Steelers, when the Steelers have the ball, you know, both sides are going to evolve as the season goes along. But those both sides are much more along than Pittsburgh's defense and Cleveland's offense. Those are very new-looking uh, units. And so it's going to be very interesting to see both go against each other. I don't know which one I'm more excited to see because I think – uh, you know, Pittsburgh's secondary is totally rebuilt. Terrell Edmonds is, I think, going to be a stud. Um, he had an up-and-down preseason, but overall I loved what I saw. Um, Aaron Rodgers lit him up a little bit, but that's going to happen <laughs> to a rookie in the preseason. But I, I'm, I'm really excited for, uh, for both sides of the ball. And I think that the Browns' defense is a crazy challenge for the Steelers. And, and so Tomlin says specifically, he goes, the, the Browns' linebackers have been together a long time, and they're ready to reap the benefits of that, it's particularly Jamie Collins. They're ready to reap the benefit of that time they've spent together. Um, and, and they can't say enough good things about uh, Miles Garrett. I mean, they – and Ben did say he saw the office parody where he shredded his photo. Um, so I think they're excited. I think I think the Steelers are fired up to prove that they're more than just, you know, Le'Veon Bell. Um, and, I, and I think that the Browns defense is certainly ready to show out. So I don't know which side of the, the, the ball you're more excited to see, Brian. Um, I think I'm, I'm more excited to see the Steelers offense. Um, but equally, too, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do against Tyrod Taylor and in in, in the Browns offense, the defense, rather. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think it's interesting you're mentioning, you know, um, Pass, you know, pass blocking for you know running back, pass protection, um, because one of the things you know heading into last season that I think it might have even been when we drafted Miles Garrett, like basically immediately, very quickly, there was the quote which resonated extremely well with Browns fans: the idea of wanting to meet Ben Roethlisberger, wanting to sack get him in that first game, and there was so much excitement from the Browns' perspective about that happening. Well, if you, you know, uh, last year, as we've had a lot of years, it was week one and week 17. Week one, Garrett was, was out. He was injured. He missed, I can't remember if it was the first two weeks or you know, just, just the week one. He was out. Then week 17, because you'd already clinched, the, you know, there was no need. Ben didn't play. So they've never actually went against each other yet. And I said this probably last year, and I'll say it again, like at an absolute minimum, I would like to see Miles Cherry get a sack. Like to see him put Ben to the ground uh, at least one, you know, one time. That would make me extremely happy. I don't know if it's going to happen, but that would obviously be something as a Browns fan you'd love to see. Um, it's because Ben is so hard, always for everybody, but especially the Browns. We've never been able to sack the sack the big mother, you know, whatever. So it's uh, certainly if anyone's going to do it, it's that monster Miles Garrett. So I would, yeah, I'm definitely excited about the defense because the defense. Again, with the preseason and with the talent, the defense 
should be capable of doing pretty well against the Steelers' offense. You know, I'm not going to expect a shutout or anything like that, but the, our, the Browns' defense, especially without Le'Veon, should be capable of, of being doing a pretty, pretty successful job. And, you know, one of the matchups I'm very excited for is we drafted, and I we watched him at Ohio State, we drafted Denzel Ward because of Antonio Brown and A.J. Green. And the top receiver is not just in the North, but in football. Denzel Ward is going to be asked in the very first game of his NFL career, and he's a little bit banged up too, to cover the best receiver in football, Antonio Brown. That's his job. That's that's what you're asking of, you know, asking from Denzel Ward. So I'm extremely excited to see how good a game AB has against him, you know, how successful Denzel is. I mean, there's a lot of matchups that really intrigue me and excite me as it relates to, you know, you know, defensively. Uh, the offense, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a little bit afraid for sure um, just because Josh Gordon isn't supposed to start and the Browns had some issues passing the football in the preseason and the Steelers, you know, are strong against the run. So I don't know how effective the Browns running game will be. Um, so I, I, I definitely, from the Browns' perspective, I'm a lot more excited to watch the Browns' defense and see what the Browns' defense can do going up against uh, you know, going up against uh, the Steelers with, you know, a couple Hall of Famers. I think the Browns passing game can give the Steelers some fits because I think they've the Browns receivers are dangerous. I think they're quick. I think Haley is going to want to run an up-tempo offense. He's going to want to confuse the Steelers secondary, and he's going to want to make sure they don't get comfortable and have time to adjust. Um you know, the Steelers have Morgan Burnett, new starting, strong safety. Him and Terrell Evans, the number one pick, were uh, free safeties on the depth chart until, like, literally going into the last preseason game and they switched over to strong safety. Um, I think the reason why is they wanted to switch Sean Davis, uh, their second-round pick in 16 over, but he, he just he wasn't getting it. And Sean Davis is in a make-or-break season. I mean, next year's his contract year, but he's got to start showing – more than what he's shown the last couple of years. I mean, Gronk ate him up. And I know that the Browns are excited about their tight end. The Steelers have, have really struggled with tight ends uh, for a long time. And Dallas Goder ate them up in the first preseason game against Philly, had a touchdown and a nice catch. Um, you know, uh, the Steelers, believe it or not, actually aren't as good against the run as, as even I think. Um, you know, when I look back on their 2017 season, um, they averaged – they gave up quite a bit of yards. And – uh, I know that's been one of their goals. They they said all off season we we have to get better against the run. If the Browns get some, because I think I think the Browns are going to have some success throwing the ball. I just I just think that Tyra Taylor is too good, and even Mike Tomlin said it during the press conference. You know, Tyra presents a lot of challenges, and they faced him in sixteen, and and Taylor threw for, you know, not three hundred, but it was up there in the twos, and had two touchdown passes, one interception, ran the ball a lot. And the Bills' offense had twenty, got twenty points on the Steelers in the snow, and it was a pretty good game. And uh, if it wasn't for a few other turnovers and, and, and whatnot, the Steelers were lost. And they were able to get to Taylor. Um, and Bud Dupree had three. I think he had a career high three sacks in that game. So they were able to get to him. And I think if the Steelers are going to win this game and they're going to have success on defense, they're going to give up passing yards. Like I'm, I'm resigned to that. They're going to give up passing yards. I mean, Joe Hayden is really good. Um, he dealt with some injuries this uh, this this summer, not any ones that are going to hit the national media circuits, but you know 
he dealt with some injuries. Um, you know, Artie Burns is going to have to have a really good game. I mean, all summer long, you, you, you keep hearing, oh, he's improved and he looks like a number one corner or whatever that means. He needs to start showing it in game. And, uh, you know, but if, if the Browns can protect Taylor and they can have a semblance of a running game enough to keep the Steeler defense honest, they're going to score some points. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, that's what the Browns are going to have to do. And, I mean, you know this, watching Browns-Steeler games over the years, a lot of these games have come down to how well or, or how well they haven't been able to protect the quarterback. The Steelers love to get after quarterbacks, especially in week one where the offense is kind of figuring things out. You know that the Steelers are going to be a blitz-happy group Sunday. Um, if they can protect Tyrod Taylor, they're going to have a lot of success. Um, they're going to want to run an up-tempo offense, and, and Haley knows that unit uh, better than anybody right now. Um, you may, you know, so uh, I think when the Browns have the ball, if they can get that running game going, and Tomlin said, you know, Chubb is a good running back, and they have a good mix of running backs in Cleveland, and, and that's what you need. You, you need a good stable back. Now, this is another thing about Haley. He – never shared the workload with the running backs, which upset Steeler fans a lot. Like, you know, why don't we – like when, when they had D'Angelo and William, and, uh, and Le'Veon, they never uh, shared the workload, you know, and, and that upset Steeler fans. It'll be interesting to see what Haley does with this group of running backs in Cleveland. Yeah, well, I can say definitively, I mean, there are very few teams in the NFL that don't have a third down back. I think that's probably part of it. Look, Le'Veon Bell, I mean, that sure. surprises me here a little bit because why? D'Angelo Williams is D'Angelo Williams. Even when he was at his best, he was fine. He was good, but he shared it with Jonathan Stewart. So uh, that's a little strange to me that, that people would have felt that way with, you know, Le'Veon. But, well, no, I'm with you there. Right. You, you're good, Brian. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that. I think that what bothered people was Le'Veon always gets hurt. So it's like, why don't you just spell him a little bit more? Like James Conner had 32 carries last season. And afterwards they were like, well, he, he had to work on his blocking. It's like, yeah, but you still could have used him a little bit more than that, you know? Yeah. No, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. But, but Duke Johnson's definitely your third down back. Carlos Hyde is never, has never been known and never, you know, he's, it's, he's not a receiver as a running back. The other two can catch Chubb and Duke Johnson outside of Alvin Kamara might be the best receiving running back in football. He was talking about wanting to play receiver. I hope that Todd Haley uses him and splits him out a little bit. That's a weapon. That's too good of a weapon with a team that is having Josh Gordon try to come back. You've got, you know, Higgins and Antonio Callaway. You've got younger guys, unproven guys, with the exception of, of Jarvis Landry and, and Josh Gordon coming back. You know, you, that's a weapon that should be out there. So I'll be very curious to see how much or if Duke Johnson is playing receiver, if he's just a third down back. I'd certainly, from a personnel perspective, would like to see that. And, I mean, that is certainly what's interesting about the Browns. The Browns do have three talented running backs. I don't know if, if Chubb will even play or, you know, how he'll be integrated or, or whatnot. But, you know, the, there there is legitimate talent there, Um you know, it's interesting to hear what you're saying about the passing game uh, as far as, you know, do you think the Browns w- will be able to have some success? I'm not sure. I know that with Tyrod, and I, I'm afraid to say this because it's the Browns, but, like, the one thing Tyrod's done well is he hasn't turned it over, and he's also really not turned it over in the red zone. 
Um, so I'm really, really hoping that that continues this week. What's interesting from the Browns' perspective is the Browns have not confirmed definitively, and we may not know until Sunday, who the left tackle is going to be. Uh, I'm fairly confident that the left tackle will be Joel Batonio, who's a great lineman, and I'm optimistic and pretty confident that he will do a good job at a very tough position. Um, then, you know, you're going to be certainly looking at then having a, you know, having a rookie starting at, uh, at the guard position versus it, you may have a rookie starting at left tackle and then have Joel Batonio return to left guard, his, his natural position. So it's going to be interesting. I, I would like to think either way the Browns will do a pretty good job. They have a pretty good offensive line for protection. Um, I don't know. I didn't know too much about Chris Hubbard, but he's, you know, we got him from you guys and we're, you know, hope, hope he'll, he'll do a good job at right tackle. So that's what Tomlin calls him. Mother Hubbard did <laughs> exactly on Tuesday. A swing tackle, but can play everything. And he was so good that the Steelers didn't even try to sign him. Um, they knew he was leaving <laughs> and, and for good reason. I mean, he, he proved it. And, you know, he lined up at center guard, tackle on both sides, very, very versatile. And to the point when, you know, when the Steelers lost uh, Mar- uh, Marcus Gilbert, their their usual starting right tackle last season to a suspension um, for, for substance abuse, um, there was no panic about Hubbard. The panic was, now if he gets hurt, who we have behind him? But, no, Hubbard, Hubbard's excellent, and he can fill any position. So, um, I know a lot of Browns fans are worried about the offensive line. Obviously, you lose a Hall of Famer and Joe Thomas, but um, no, he's certainly good. And in terms of you know, Browns running backs, if any of them can catch, Todd Haley is going to utilize you. And that's, that's again the other thing. You know, people can criticize Haley all all they want. Ben's best fiscal seasons came with, with Todd Haley as his OC. You know, Antonio Brown's best seasons, Todd Haley as as the OC. Um, ben Sack numbers went down significantly with Todd Haley as the OC. Um, he will get the most out of this group. And, um, and, I, and I, again, I think the Browns offense is going to do things against Pittsburgh's defense. And what you don't want is Pittsburgh's defense needing to bail them out late. Um, and, that, again, you know, T.J. Watt missed uh, – he didn't play a single snap during, uh, um, you know, the preseason because of injuries. He's going he's gonna to start on Sunday, but, again, dealing with injury problems. Um, so, you know, this, there's, I, and those are the underlying things that, that I don't think people really look at. Um, you know, they just think Steelers, Browns, okay, Pittsburgh should be okay. No. <laughs> it's, I think it's going to be a good game. And, uh, you know, when you look at the other side, I mean, Greg Williams is a great defensive coordinator. Uh, he's won a ring as a defensive coordinator. Um, you know, Miles Garrett is certainly good. And, you know, Pittsburgh's offense, now if they get rolling, if, if, if Ben gets in, in a flow and James Conner, and you know the Steelers are going to want to prove that they can run the ball with James Conner, especially after this. A lot of people are saying this is going to distract the Steelers. I think, I think no. I, I think this will, if it does anything, I think this will make that offensive line incredibly motivated to get James Conner 100 yards. And I think that they're going to make a point to run the football, to run the football well, um, and open up the passing game. Uh, now, A.B. is going to get his, his numbers. I, I just That's just what he does. Um, Juju had an up-and-down uh, uh, preseason, Brian. It, you know, it was weird because he had two touchdowns in the preseason and everybody freaked out, but he also had some drops. And 
He's been dealing with a left knee injury that I think has been frustrating him. James Washington, I think, is a guy that could be an X factor in this game. He's the Steelers' number two receiver. I think he's going to play a lot, but a lot of people don't think he's mastered the, game, the, the playbook yet. He was the Boletnikoff Award winner last season, and the Steelers took him in the second round. Um, but, I, again, if they can get to, to, to Ben and they can stop Connor, I think the Browns have a really good chance to win, assuming what I think happens when the Browns have the ball, which is I think they're going to have success in the air. Um, and obviously turnovers are always paramount in football, especially in this rivalry. That's what, that's what, that's what decided it last year. TJ Watt with that big interception and, and then the block punt on special teams. So if the Browns win the turnover battle, they can, they can make plays in the passing game, have, have some semblance of a running game and they can make the Steelers one dimensional. I definitely think they, they are, they certainly could win this game. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, as a franchise, Fans, every we need it. You know, we really need this badly. Um, you know, at, at, you know at, at a certain point, we have to win a. You know, <laughs> you know, we've won victory since '99 to start a season. This is it's at home. You know, at a certain point, you've got to do something that raises an eyebrow, uh, and and that starts really with the Steelers. Uh, you know, if the Browns, assuming the Browns don't win. Hard to win, you know. Browns have won Pittsburgh since 2003. Like, you know that. When I look at this season, I don't know how many wins we have. A t- the Browns have a tough schedule. I know we're going to win a couple games. I'm confident in that. In that, I'm not going to make any Lake Erie guarantee or anything like that. But or tattoo thing like I did with the Cavs a couple of years ago. But I am completely confident, you know, in this, the fact that Stephen won a few games. But for this team to really head into next season with some momentum. And for people to really be talking playoffs as if it's actually a somewhat viable goal to to shoot for, you know, come 2019, uh, you're going to have to do some things you haven't usually done. And I think that starts with the Steelers, finding a way to win at least one of these two games, um, giving yourself an opportunity to head into Thursday night football week three against the Jets at home with a chance to have a winning record, which – Sounds silly to most teams, certainly to Steelers fans, it has to. But a like two-and-one record for the Browns would be an incredible feeling. I, I, I'm fearful it, you know, it, it'll go the opposite route because week two I'm already assuming a loss because the Browns are in New Orleans, and New Orleans is great. So I can't imagine the Browns winning against the Saints in New Orleans. So if the Browns are going to win you know, one of these two games heading in, this is the game they would be most likely to have a chance to win. Um, you know, whether it happens or not, I'm certainly not predicting it. I'm not expecting it. Um, but, you know, it, it's it, at a certain point, you can talk about things changing, but that, it actually has to change. It's, it's, it's the Michigan situation and Texas, you know, some of these teams in college football. And we don't have to get in a whole discussion, but, like, year in and year out, you're seeing the same type of mistakes, the same issues. And you're wondering, is this ever going to – is it going to end? Is it going to right itself? Um, I love the fact that someone who hates Michigan, that Michigan is already 0-1, you know, that, that they have issues. And, you know, it, it, it's some of the thieves. And they look terrible. That Notre Dame uh, have, I don't have think that great either. <laughs> Say again? But, no, I, I said that, that – and Michigan looked terrible. I mean, I don't think Notre Dame is even that good. Yeah, Notre Dame's fine. They're not – yeah, I agree. I don't go that great. It's – you know, but point being, it, it, it's I, – I want NFL themes to change. You know, I want NFL themes to, uh, 
you know, something to change here for the Browns. I like the fact that in college football it hasn't. So I don't know. I will, I will say, and this is, you know, this is sad, but it's the truth. Sad in a, in a laughing way, not sad in a sad way, although maybe both. I've talked to multiple of my friends, and we've all, a lot of us had the same reaction. At some point, for me, it was Sunday. At some point, you get close to, to the first real game, and you start to have this, like, sinking feeling of, like, oh, no, it's actually really starting. Because as a Browns fan, the regular season is the worst part of being a Browns fan, which is, which is incredibly sad and also hilarious. I've had that sort of reflection of, like, okay, you know, this is Browns Steelers on Sunday. We think a lot about it. We, we feel pretty good. But when push comes to shove, when it's all said and done, somehow, some way, you just expect the Browns to not win this game. And you expect things to sort of continue on this never-ending path of, of just, you know, of struggle. So I think the fans, the uh, everyone, I think, really, really could use uh, a very strong performance that, that comes off of the win this week. And if it doesn't happen – then, you know, perhaps finally it's not a week 17 scenario. The Browns are in Pittsburgh. I don't know if it's week eight or week nine, but for the first time in years, you know, the Browns and Steelers actually are playing both their games, you know, one in, in, the, in the beginning and one in the middle. Uh, so I think it, it's absolutely necessary for the sake of, of getting things right to do some, some things this year that are significant. And there's nothing that's going to be more significant to the fans and nothing that's going to be more significant towards the, the ability to, you know, at least have the Steelers take notice than defeating them. Um, and, and I don't know if you want to go into this, but one of the things we were, we were you know, texting about what, that I was really did want to know very much from you is from the Steelers' perspective of, you know, I don't know if you've talked to others or not, but, you know, what is, what is it that needs to happen? What do the Browns need to do to truly get – not, I, I know not necessarily serious they respect, but to truly become noticed by Steeler Nation. What, what do the Browns have to do to realistically have it be like, uh-oh, they're coming for real, and, you know, we, we have, a, you know, another rivalry on our hands? I think, honestly, it, ta- it takes one win and then follow that up with the successful season. Because if you beat the Steelers once, like in 14, the Steelers or the Browns manhandled them in the rematch. And the Browns should have honestly won the first game. The Steelers had a huge lead. The Browns came back and tied it. The Steelers kicked the last second field goal to win. And then the Browns ransacked them in the middle of the season. That was the year they started. Browns, Browns Pittsburgh, and Cincinnati at one point were all 7-4. and four. You know, eleven yep. games into the season, and that season. was the last. Browns but then they didn't. Game they I didn't. That. I, 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 even though, even though, sorry to interrupt, but even though I've lived in lived in in Denver for the twenty, you know, most of the twenty six, or actually all of the twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen, and now the twenty eighteen seasons, I did not go to a game in twenty fifteen because after that win over the Steelers, getting to be there, I was like, oh, it's not going to get any better than this. There's no reason for me to even yeah. go to another game. No, no, I, I've watched that on TV, and I remember thinking, God, that just looks like Camelot. Like, that just is probably – and it was it was sunny, right? I mean, the weather was good for – It was you know, it was really mid- hot. It was like going to a baseball game. It was beautiful weather, yeah. Oh, yeah, and it was like, man, if you're Cleveland right now – and it wasn't close at any point. I mean, the Browns, from what I remember, jumped out on them early, and they were – they just – they had the Steelers' number. But you got to follow that up with, you know, really to me – 
beating the Steelers in a game that really hurts them. And, you know, the Bengals, I know Steelers fans don't acknowledge it, that Cincinnati's kind of evolved into a rivalry. But, you know, 2012, late, I think it was week 16, the Steelers needed to, to win out to, to not only win the division potentially, but to make the playoffs. And Cincinnati beat them on a last-minute drive with Andy Dalton. And that, that kind of started that little, you know, that dislike between those two. Obviously, the, the Ravens have beaten the Steelers in some meaningful games. But I think that's what it takes, you know. Not just beating them potentially Sunday, but following it up with a a playoff season or a season where the Browns are winning nine games at, at least, and they are being a threat to the Steelers. I will say this, and I talked to uh, a Browns writer earlier today, and he was like, you know, I, I think the Steelers are overlooking the Browns, and I'm thinking, no, I can promise you that. Um, they're not overlooking the Browns going into this game. And, and that's the funny thing the other day when, like, you know, they, you know Ben was asked, are, are you going to text Le'Veon? Are you going to try to get him here? He's like, dude, he's like, I'm preparing for the Browns. Like, they have, a, they, they have arguably the best defense we're going to see this season. And Miles Garrett is, is a premier pass rusher, and they have weapons, and they're deep, and they're fast, and they're young at certain spots, and the linebacking, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, you look at, you know – what some of the Steeler uh, defenders are saying about, like, where they remember about seeing Tyrod Taylor and all this stuff, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, they are not overlooking the Browns, and they respect the fact it's an AFC North rivalry. They know that Cleveland's going to be a crazy place on Sunday. I think it's important for the Steelers to get out fast. Like I said, you, you don't want the Steelers' offense to stall early, and, and you need the defense to make a big play, particularly in the secondary. Again, if the Browns have the ball late with a chance to win and you're putting that game on a secondary that is very young and very new, that is not a situation Steeler fans want to be in. You, you need to make sure late in that game it's not up to the secondary to pull it out for you because if that's what happens, I could definitely see an upset. Now, Steelers can avoid that by getting out early and getting into a rhythm on offense. The Steelers' offense is very rhythm-based. And if they can get and, – and, but Greg Williams is, a, is the master of messing up routes and, and, and trying to get you out of getting into a rhythm. So I think it's definitely going to be a, a gritty game. I think it's going to be maybe a 24-16 to 16 game somewhere around there, 23-17. Who wins? I have no idea. My final prediction, I'm going to go Steelers. I'm going 23-20. I think it's a field goal game just like last year. I'm going to say it's a little bit higher scoring. I think Pittsburgh's offense will, will do just enough to win, but I think Cleveland is going to show why I think they are going to be the second-best team in the AFC North this season. I, I think I think the Ravens are done. Um, people are giving John Harbaugh all this credit because he won a Super Bowl six years ago. They haven't done anything the last three years. And I think they're a sinking ship. Um, and I think they just need to start um, uh, Jackson now and just get it over with. And Cincinnati has talent, but they, they don't have the right temperament. So I, I, I don't see them being a threat either. Uh, so Cleveland, it's there. And I don't necessarily – and I, I agree with you. I think it would be huge if they won this game. But I think they also need to show that, that they can play a full four quarters with the Steelers and even be – in, the, in a chance to win the game. And I think they will. I think they'll have a chance to win on Sunday. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see. That's so funny that what that Browns writer said. Because, I mean, that's I, – I don't I don't believe that at all. Again, 
what makes this, there's a lot of things that make the Steelers the Steelers and why it's one of the best organizations for decades in sports. And I think preparation is at the top or near the top of the list. So I ne- the, for the Browns to turn this around, to gain the Steelers' respect, to gain respect of the NFL, to become relevant, have a chance at playoffs, and who knows what else. And I'm going to mention the game that occurs after Championship Sunday that we've never been in. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be – the Browns are not going to have a chance to, to even be peers with the Steelers based upon the Steelers providing some sort of help or support to that, situ- to that situation. Um, so, yeah, I, that's part, partly why I just find that comment so absurd because that's, that's, that's not going to happen. The Steelers are going to be prepared. The Steelers are going to be ready. The only way for the Browns to turn this around is to, to find a way, because they have some talent, to do what is necessary to de- defeat the Steelers and to defeat quality opponents and to win. It, it, it's not going to be someone helping you uh, to get this thing right. Steelers aren't going to do that. They're going to do the right things. That's, that's how it goes. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely I'm into it. Uh, I'm more excited uh, and hopeful for this season than I have been in a long, long time. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can make Sunday a really special day for Browns fans all across the country. Um, I know I will be at a Browns at, at a bar with fellow Browns fans. That's five minute walk for me, which is incredible. I got very lucky in that oh, regard. Oh wow! Um, nice. But uh, but yeah, I don't want to. You know, I, I'm I'm ready for it. But you know, at the end of the day, if if it doesn't, if it goes, you know, poorly the way it usually does, I'll I'll be fine. I mean, I'm, the Browns Browns losing is something I'm very comfortable with because it's, it's all I all I know. Um, I'm just wondering at what point that's going to end, and hopeful that. In the beginning of that, uh, that turnaround starts this Sunday. Interesting in Pittsburgh because the Pirates have kind of gotten back down to you know, not contending for a championship. Uh, the Penguins, you know, had a disappointing end to the, to the 18th season, albeit I wasn't too disappointed. I mean, they had a great two-year run, and even last year they ran out of gas. And the expansion, you know, what the expansion did, get, you know, they had to relinquish several players to the Knights, including Marc-Andre Fleury. That really hurt them, both talent and emotionally. So there's a lot more outside pressure on the Steelers in the city to win a title. And it bothers me continuously that Terry Bradshaw, again, the other day, was very critical of Mike Tomlin. And it's, you know, and, in, and on a couple of ESPN shows today, you know, is this era of Steelers disappointing? And, and yeah, ultimately they haven't won a Super Bowl, but I think people just think that that stuff grows on trees. I mean, yeah, 10 years is, is for the Steelers a little bit of time, but they went 26 without, you know, winning one before. Um, and, you know, that's the way it is. You know, and, and it's a, it really upsets me that Mike Tomlin takes all this heat. And, uh, you know, um, I would really like to see them not only win one this year for, for ABU hasn't won one, um, I'm a big fan of his. Joe Hayden, who, again, another reason why they're not going to take the Browns lightly, because Joe Hayden's not going to let that happen. You know, Ben wins a third ring. He's the fifth quarterback in NFL one. history to win it. He's the fifth quarterback. I'm in sorry. I just want to acknowledge that three. piece of it real quick. That, sure. I think that argument's stupid regardless, but who's not going to be prepared and focused and ready to play week one? Exactly. That's why I, I laughed at it, too. And, it, and he did the whole cliche. 
well, the Ste- the Browns aren't the Steelers' little brothers anymore. It's like the Steelers don't think that. They they are they are so ready to play this game. Like you said, it's week freaking one, and they are. I mean, and and, and with with Bell, people are like, well, this is going to distract them. No, this is going to piss them off. They're going to go into this game if they already didn't want James Conner to play well. They're going to make a point to get late to get James Conner a hundred yards. Like. Now, the Browns' defense might not let him, and, and I think the Browns' defense is going to be very – I think that would be a mistake if the Steelers tried to just force the ball down the Browns' throats. I don't think – I think the Browns' defense is too good. And I think Greg Williams' defenses are too good. I think the Steelers will struggle. I don't think James Conner needs 100 yards to have a good game. I think he could rush for like 80 no. or 22, and that would be that would be a good game. But the Steelers are incredibly motivated. <laughs> like, and they And they know – they know, you know, it was interesting when, you know, Ben was like, Ben said a lot of nice things about the Browns week, but it was funny when they asked him about hard knocks. And he, he was kind of dismissive, almost jealous, like, this team's getting all this hype around them and we're not and we won 13 games. You you kind of got that vibe from Ben, kind of like, these guys are getting all this talk and we're not. You know, there's definitely this, we need to show them that they're still there and, we're, you know, no, I don't think the Steelers could be – the only way I think the Steelers could be more motivated is if it was New England in week one. Outside of that, this is the perfect opponent in the perfect environment. I mean, in Cleveland makes it even better because now – and I think for the Steelers it's great because you get out of Pittsburgh. I think there's times where it's better for them to leave Pittsburgh. And you're going to go into a hot – this is great for them. A hostile crowd, they're going to have to figure things out with noise. You know, it's not going to look pretty, and I think Steeler fans that watch this game, you know, there's going to be better days coming, and I still think they're going to do enough to to get by, but this is the perfect week one matchup, and I think it's going to be a good game, Brian. I think think when we started the podcast and even earlier in the week, you said you couldn't wait for this game. I I, I think you're going to be rewarded with a good game, and regardless, football's back. There's optimism uh, in both cities for different reasons, and – uh, I think we both can agree on we, we hope this is a good season with a lot of exciting football. And that we have a lot more of these podcasts where we can talk about, you know, good football. We didn't even scratch Ohio State. I'm sure we'll get to that in future podcasts as well. Yep. For sure, yeah. No, the, 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 uh, I'll make a one quick, quick point on the Buckeyes, and then we can run because it's, it's late. For me, it's much later for you. So um, the one quick point I want to make on the Buckeyes is – what is scary about the Buckeyes and what makes the Buckeyes a legitimate threat to win a national championship this year is not just the talent, but the chip that this team has with everything that happened with Urban Meyer. And I don't want to get into that piece of it. I'm just talking solely about your motivation as players, as coaches, when something occurs that is incredibly inconvenient and frustrating and, and to the people in, in that locker room, you know, wrong. Um, what happened to Urban? I got a raw deal. That's that perception that they have. It's fun as a fan, sort of having that chip. Also, it's like it's normally at this point in the season. You know, yeah, TCU is coming up, but it's just like you, you try to lie to yourself and you get yourself excited and motivated about it, about these games that you know the Ohio State's going to win by 50 points, 40, 50, 30. You know, they're going to absolutely annihilate the opponent. Um, but that chip is so great right now, and it's going to be there the entire season. Um, so I'm very excited to see how this team responds. Um, and I, 
think this whole, as, as frustrating as it was, all the issues with urban and the divide and the national media in Ohio State's hatred level for everyone outside of Columbus and Buckeye Nation is at an absolute 100% all-time high right now. And I think they're taking that and using it as motivation, and it has me really buying into that the sky's the limit for this team, that this has a chance to be uh, a very, very special group um, at, at Ohio State that could, you know, be right back in that playoff mix and have a chance to get those two victories at the end of the year and, you know, bring a, a second national championship, give Urban Meyer, have him be the second coach in Ohio State history, uh, along, of course, with Woody Hayes to win multiple national championships. Yeah, man, they've got the 07 Patriots FU uh, mojo going for them. And I think Columbus, man, I think they're more around this team in Ohio in general than, than years past. I think sometimes just like, you know, oh, they're always, and you told me this a long time ago, and I told my wife this this weekend, and I said, you know, Brian told me this a long time ago. What other environment in sports do you wake up, watch a team, you know they're going to win, and 95, 96% of the time they win? And I think sometimes you can take it for granted. But I think in the midst of everything that's happened and all the crap and ESPN and everything that this team has been hit by, I think that's galvanized Buckeye Nation and the team. And I think everybody wants it more this season. So I, I think you're spot sure. on. And it's, and it's going to be exciting to see them hopefully continue it. I mean, I think, I think TCU will be a good matchup again for them. And hopefully they can get out of this one and, and they, Urban can take over with an undefeated team. For sure, it, uh, it will be exciting. But, yes, we, we definitely have a lot to cover. We, uh, but, uh, you know, hey, no matter what, like I say, this is a great week. This is, you know, this big playoff game – or not playoff, but big playoff chase baseball. You've got college football, pretty weak college football schedule, which is fine. If ever you're going to you want a weak college schedule, it's the week that the NFL is kicking off. And the NFL, you know, beginning uh, tomorrow night, Thursday night, we get our first look at the team that should have won the Super Bowl, what, two years ago? Uh, three years ago, whenever yep. it was, uh, 2016, the Falcons, and the team that did win the Super Bowl last year, um, the Philadelphia Eagles. So it's, it's, a, it's a really strong, uh, interesting matchup uh, with Nick Foles as the Super Bowl hero, getting a chance to go into Lincoln Financial Field and try to deliver a, a big you know, uh, conference victory. And uh, I'm looking forward, just as a football fan, to that and to uh, you know, enjoying watching a lot of, lot of you know, football this season for week one. Yeah, man. I think that that's a good place to end it, man. I'm pumped up, and uh, you know, uh, maybe next time we'll do a friendly wager. We'll see. And and uh, I don't know if you did. Maybe next time we'll do a little bit of fantasy football talk. You said you had Le'Veon. Yeah, we hopefully, could do that. Hopefully, sure. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, I got I got Ezekiel, and the, the guy in front of me picked Le'Veon. I said either way, I'm going to be happy. But uh, in our in our league, uh, uh, Mr. Todd Gurley went first, so the hype train with him is still rolling. So. Uh, you know, but yeah, man, I'm I'm pumped up for that too. So, uh, but yeah, buddy. Uh, again, it was fun to do this one with you, and I'll let you close down shop. Yes, sir. Well, hey, yeah. Th- thanks uh, for 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 those that joined us. If anybody did, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was always great to talk to you, and really, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to week one. So, I guess that's I guess that that's it. And now I, I have to decide do I want to try to stall a little bit. I try to remember the way I used to close the show, and now I think I remember it. So this edition of the Diardro Show is over.